Welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the Roy Cast and its first succession podcast. My name is Brendan. I am joined, as always, by my co-hosts, Kate. Hello. And Gabby. Hey, everyone. We are joined today by a very special guest, an editor for The Outline, writer Brandy Jensen. Hello, Brandy. Hi. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure. So, Brandy, I know we wanted to have you on the show in particular, you know, for this episode, as ensconced as you are in the uh, wonderful world of New York media. We previously had, you know, Maya on on the episode to talk about, you know, sort of like the working class of journalists, etc. Now we're very much talking about the owner class in this episode with the Pierces. Um, What did you make of this week's uh, succession? Uh, Well, so first of all, I feel like uh, this season, each episode is just getting better than the last. And this uh, this last episode was my favorite so far of the season. I thought it was incredible. Um, The uh, yeah, the interesting thing about the Pierces and like you said, the, you know, the sort of owner class versus Walter, which was the funny thing about Walter is that it could very easily have been like any number of digital news sites. It, It it was a you know good interpretation of Vice. It could have been BuzzFeed. Could have been Mike. Um, you could sort of swap in any number of real world analogs for Walter. But for for PGN, there isn't really one. It's supposed to be, I guess, sort of CNN. But the idea that there is a really good, like heavily journalistic, credible cable news site is like laughable. <laughs> and so <laughs> I thought that was really interesting that they don't have a real world analog for. Uh, PGN or even for the Pierces, the Pierces are like this amalgam of of various um, kind of like waspy old money New England families. I think they're sort of supposed to nod to the Salzburgers who have owned the New York Times for a century and have handed it down through the family. Um, but they're, you know, they're also very like Kennedy-esque um, and they're absolutely ridiculous, horrifying, vile people. And I love the episode. <laughs> Yeah, I loved uh, Cherry Jones uh, playing the same character she played in The Village. That was cool. (laughs) Uh, I think Jesse Armstrong used the term Boston Brahmin to refer to their particular sort of upper class cast. Yes, yeah. I mean, it's it's a very familiar American archetype, um, and it's one that uh, was just so pitch perfectly skewered. Um, that the whole thing just was like such a treat. Yeah, it's an interesting question, just like who the Pierces are supposed to be. There was this article on Slate by Felix uh, Salmon, Salmon, who cares, uh, about, uh, you know, just like the various sort of real world analogs that there could be. And, you know, there was this acquisition that uh, Rupert Murdoch made of, you know, Dow Jones that was owned by the Bancroft family, which, of course, uh, gifted him, you know, the Wall Street Journal. So that might be kind of like the closest thing to like a real world example of this kind of this kind of deal happening. Um, that's, but that's a good uh, analog for the business transaction. But like the Wall Street Journal was not a liberal journalistic <laughs> endeavor. It never has been. You know, the Bancrofts weren't like um, scions of of democratic politics. So I think in terms of like um, the acquisition, that's that's pretty close. But the Pierces um, are like I said, there's there is no real world analog for the Pierces because. Um, that kind of cable news uh, just doesn't exist. 
Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great point that I hadn't really thought of. The idea of like, yeah, a twenty-four hour cable news channel with journalistic integrity is, of course, completely uh, satirical and fictional. Yeah, I think it's like what people imagine CNN to be. Um, I don't think anybody people. imagines that about CNN anymore. I, I mean, I mean, maybe, you can't not, you can't have a holographic Wolf Blitzer. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, certainly not anymore. But at some yeah. point in history. Maybe something like the way that liberals think of MSNBC, right? Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's, it's, I think they've sort of imagined, like, if the New York Times was a cable news channel. Like, that's really the closest that you can get. What a, what a dream that would be, to live in that world. <laughs> you could just get Brett Stevens has, has an hour-long show each night where he compares various petty grievances to the Holocaust. Oh, I would watch that. I would, I would, <laughs> I would tape that every night. So yeah, I mean, like this, this, this episode has this, you know, once again, like every episode this season has this very neat kind of episodic structure where they're setting out to do a specific thing, and this one it's this kind of takeover bid, and they're, you know, they're flying out to the Pierce estate to sort of make their case in person. Uh, so everybody is given kind of a role, and the objective is basically to convince them that you know they're not the uh, what's the phrase that's used over and over again you know kind of right-wing ogres uh and that you know that they can trust them um gabby i know you i think you looked into a little bit like the setting like where they end up going do you want to talk a bit about like you know where the pierces are yeah so the mansion that is used in this episode is on long island's gold coast which is notorious for you know old money families um and they actually were going to originally uh, use this place as the summer palace um they wanted a new england hyannis port style vibe which i think goes to what brandy was saying about the kennedys and what jesse armstrong said about sort of the boston brahmin um ethos and um this location was obviously within striking range of New York City, and um, I, th- I thought this line was funny in the article that I read that it also had enough available bedrooms and hallways for the production to include an element of bedroom farce, which takes place as the members of the two families mix with each other. Bedroom farce. Oh, like yes. A, a nice uh, euphemism for what whatever is going on between Roman and Jerry. But yeah, it's a $125 million estate um, that was, it's built on a private island, and um it was it's owned by jp morgan's family so another classic billionaire long island mansion awesome just like gritty location shooting you know we love it <laughs> yeah I, I i would have liked to see a bit more of the bedroom farce element um i'm imagining an episode now that's just that uh there's yeah there's there's a whole passage in this episode kind of like after dinner and everybody starts to kind of quote unquote go to bed um where things start to get a little bit uh frisky and I could have watched, like, an entire episode of that. Oh, totally. I feel like there's probably cut scenes from that that were just golden. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's there's absolutely stuff that's, like, missing from this episode. And I, I think we'll get to that. Um, but anyway, like, to, to start off with just, like, you know, the way that Logan is setting up this takeover plan. Because he assembles everybody kind of at his penthouse beforehand. And there's this really striking opening that I love where, you know, Shiv is entering. And she's going up in the elevator. And the, it kind of captures this private moment where Snook is, like like she's, she's trembling like she seems like she seems really you know um ill at ease you know for the first time in a while or just like even more so than
than she's been for the last couple episodes, you know, as these kind of illusions about how this sort of succession plan was going to go have been unraveling for her. Um, and, you know, she seems to be saying the wrong things to Logan, you know, making jokes that he doesn't think is funny. Um, and uh, you just, you sense like this, this desperation that's already coming out there, which is a big thing of this a theme of this episode is particularly uh, Shiv being off balance. It was like almost physically painful for me to watch her just keep getting in her own way. I love Shiv and it was, it, I mean, it's so relatable to like finally have the moment that you've uh, felt maybe ambivalent about and then really embraced and then the time comes and you just, you know, uh, Kendall wasn't the only one who shed the bed. yes thank you oh that's oh that's perfectly put we we were we were waiting i think we were looking for a way like how do we tie this into the themes of the episode you you said it perfectly that's precisely what it's there for yeah yeah Yeah, i mean i think um i was shocked too like i had the same reaction as brandy like it was physically painful at certain points to see shiv um so cringeworthy like starting from the there was like uh, an initial gaffe where she said like "Ooh, well that just screams bye 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 and like logan looks at her and she's like i'm kidding and um and then at the end of that scene where she's like yeah you know i'm the i'm gonna be the um what does she say the new it's gonna be my baby soon and he yeah. kind of looks at her like with this dubious look um yes yeah, so we saw it like a little bit with the last episode where she calls herself clumsy Shiv, and you, you sense that she's, you know, feeling a little bit insecure about her role in that negotiation scene with Ken and Rhea. But, yeah, it was um, really hard <laughs> to see Shiv fumble like this, and I think it speaks to a lot of what's going on internally and, and some, uh, some deeper-seated issues. But I think she's very... Um, she's not used to being, like, the top dog, and now she's part of this sort of group chorus of her family and um you know people like frank and jerry and i think that uh it's you know goes to her deepest insecurities about not feeling like her dad um well i think there's also just her for for who like what she wants to be appreciated for i think there's also just something uh sort of tender and human and relatable about being effortlessly good at something you don't want and then the moment that you really commit to it you suddenly can't find the right way to go Mm, right she she has that line um when sorry to skip ahead but when tom and shiv leave the dinner for a second and she says you know like i don't even want this deal um i'm trying to find the specific line but like but like even the job, like she wasn't really all in about taking over, um, uh, you know, most of last season and in the early part of this season. And, the, and you know, she came through as like the clear choice during the time that she didn't really want it or didn't feel like she would be a contender. And then as soon as she's tapped, as soon as she's, you know, really makes that commitment, um, suddenly she's just like backfooted and saying the wrong thing all the time. Yeah, and I think that part of maybe Shiv's driving force in deciding to get involved and take her dad's offers just because um, she, you know, in that first episode, that emotional scene with the remember the slant of light and she gets 
you know, very teary-eyed and saying, you know, I just wish you had asked me. I think um, just being uh, valued by her dad that way is something that she's sort of, like, been yearning for her whole life. Um, Daddy, for her, has obviously just been sort of this withholding character. Um, And, you know, I think she sort of was probably put on a pedestal as, as the little girl and it subverted maybe her actual desire to be seen, heard, and in her family, you know, she she clearly had to detach heavily from emotions and, and interpersonal needs, and so um, I think this episode is, you know, I, I think it, in the pilot, not in the pilot, I'm sorry, I think in, in Summer Palace, when she's offered the job, it's um, it feels like a corrective experience for her, like something she's been waiting for her whole life to hear from dad. Um, yeah. But she's not necessarily thinking about the implications of, you know, how Logan operates, what this might look like. It's just the validation that she has just been craving for her entire life. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a little bit of what sets her off balance, right? Mm -hmm. Is she's been, like, so emotionally detached um, for so long, and finally she gets that validation, um, and she's getting these emotions that she's not necessarily comfortable with either facing or dealing with, and so it sets her totally off balance um, and constantly questioning herself um, as we see throughout the episode. Yeah, let's let's move through some more of this uh, the Pierce business so we can get to. I think there's there's a couple of big scenes in this, like the dinner scene and then the final scene at the at kind of like the the bargaining table um, where uh, uh, you know that those issues really come to the fore. Um, but like in this opening, I think like the big thing is that like you know I think you know Gabby, you mentioned that you know she's part of this big group with like Jerry and Frank. You know she's not even really being meaningfully differentiated from like you know the help basically um you know she's she doesn't she's not feeling that that status um you know the people that, who do seem to have logan's trust this weekend are ken with whom he's cooking up this ruse about you know oh you're gonna arrive like uh you know an hour or two late and say you've been off you know volunteering as part of your co- recovery um he also seems confident that he has raya Jarrell, holly hunter the uh, pgm ceo uh in his back pocket and it does kind of seem from the way that he is um, sort of conspiring with her throughout the episode and the way that she seems very much kind of on message and on strategy throughout that, uh, um, that weekend that, um, that, you know, some kind of deal has been struck either, you know, in the background that we're not aware of or whether there's something going on between the lines, you know, in that sort of, you know, freighted exchange in the safe room where he goes, you know, you know, can you, you know, do you trust me? Um, basically implying, you know, that he's going to take care of her somehow, that whatever deals happens, you know, Rhea is going to be well taken care of, I think. Yeah, it makes me question their history, and especially in the opening scene um, before they leave to go to the Pierces, and, uh, you know, he says something to the effect of Rhea helping, and Shiv's like, she's not even an employee, and he says, I trust Shiv, I trust Rhea, I know Rhea. And to me, that kind of indicated there was like maybe there's maybe, as you said, you know, like something more happening, either backstory or, you know, um, but there's definitely a, a, a fondness among Rhea and the family. There's a recognition of like, we are both um, successful business people, deal makers, CEOs, right? I think that um, 
insofar as anybody can earn Logan's respect, it's it's on it's in the mode of of business. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's there's the, there's a huge tension in this episode where we see Logan kind of ill at ease in a way that he hasn't been before. And like we talked about Shiv being uncomfortable, but Logan is uncomfortable in this kind of social setting, right? He's uncomfortable having to pretend to have, you know, some of these sticky liberal values that he doesn't care about, um, you know, having to pretend to be like a warm, fuzzy dad, having pretend to to pretend to, you know, care at all about the journalistic integrity of Pierce's uh, media holdings. Um, and he's uncomfortable mainly being around people who are, you know, old money, um, which is a bit strange because, you know, his, you know, we know that, you know, Caroline's uh, uh, family uh, was old money. Um, but we, but, you know, in hunting in particular, we saw Logan's kind of contempt for people who have been born with a silver spoon kind of come to the fore. And now he's having to kind of bow and scrape in front of these people, and he really doesn't like it. Yeah, I think yeah, Logan... Sorry, go ahead, Brendan. No, I was just going to say, I mean, it's sort of... it's It adds an interesting layer that this was filmed at a, at a property formerly owned by J.P. Morgan, because this is just, like, such a classic Gilded Age dynamic, right, of these, like... <laughs> Yep. These hugely recently and and preposterously wealthy men, um, you know, sort of being integrated uh, into like these moneyed environments and the contempt that Logan holds for who are frankly, you know, openly uh, contemptible people, right? The the Pierces are um, just laughably pretentious, and <laughs> yeah. you know the 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 sort of performative inviting her servant to like have a drink with us kind of thing. Oh my God. Yes, ridiculous, right? so and typical, like, oh, liberal old money bouge. I've got yeah. to point out that she, they were inviting her to have a back, uh, a break bumper. Let's, let's make sure not to leave that out. Oh, yes, right. the, re- the recipe the te- handed te- down through Teddy, Teddy Roosevelt's Roosevelt's ballet. Ballet. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. It was unbelievably pretentious. Yeah. And I think we see ba- that, um, that, old money, new money. There's also sort of like this Catholic Protestant subtext, you know, Catholics are kind of unruly and loud and have these big families and addiction issues and Protestants are sort of anal and overly fussy and elitist and cold. And, you know, these are stereotypes, but, um, is Logan Catholic? Yes, they are Catholic. I don't know if Logan is Catholic, but I was rewatching the last couple of episodes of season one and the priest there was Catholic. Interesting. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, so I think it was, I think Logan is, is definitely very out of his element here, out of his depth. I mean, I can't imagine that for the last several decades, Logan has had to really kind of like perform to impress people. Um, it's it's not something that, um, you know, he can, he can sort of put up a front for a little while, as we saw in the cocktail party uh, speech that he gave, which was very measured and respectable. So, you know, he can sort of... Put, put on the performance but I think over time um it starts to grate on him the sort of um ridiculous like you know the um uh the things that like unfold over the course of the dinner like the shakes I mean he 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 clearly resents having to do it because the fact that he has money is enough right and I think it also speaks to Logan's um feeling that like you know he's the only person in this room who came from like a hard scrabble background. And I think that that we've talked about it before has, has shaped his business acumen and it's shaped the way that he raised his children. And, you know, Logan has brought up before and he has said before that 
he knows what regular people want. And, um, you know, like we discussed in the pilot, it may be very ugly um, what people want. But in fact, like his way of doing things could, you know, is probably more effective um, than what a Pierce type outlet does in terms of getting people, um, you know, to really tapping into people's emotions, which which Logan knows how to do. And I think um, kind of this ridiculously pretentious uh, family is something that um, he has utter contempt for, and it's very hard for him to ask to be um, to perform for them. And then, you know, to, to compound it, he's got his ridiculous band of characters with him who <laughs> clearly cannot keep up the facade. I mean, even just like in that cocktail scene when Roman is reading the Latin on the window and he's like, the wine is triumphant, your vagina trumpets. Like they're all being told to be on their best behavior, but they just, they can't do it. Like they're just, they're, they're feral to me. Like, <laughs> I know hunting seemed like the most like feral episode, but for me, everybody is fucking feral in this episode. The Roy's just kids just like cannot, um, cannot put on this performance. Like, you know, between Shiv's joke about the PhD and, um, you know, Tab and and Rome talking about their sex life, like it's such a contrast with like this sort of emotionally tight lipped and intellectual conversation stargazing wasp dynamic that the pierces have um but they're just as out of touch as the roys which i think is really important to remember um, oh if like, not more so yeah, if not more so because i think a lot of people saw them as like this mirror to the roys like this more civilized mirror but i mean I, yeah i think they that uh, um you know they're clearly not <laughs> good or virtuous and um they certainly poise themselves or position themselves sorry that uh to to be you know it, it reminds me of of the way the revolutionary language that the roy kids use but they clearly think that they are um righteous and, and virtuous and they can't you can't put a value on what we do i mean it's unbelievably pretentious and i think um you know for the roys it's uh it's it's sort of new territory yeah and i think Sorry, Kate. Uh, sorry, Kate. Go ahead. But I was going to say we should p- pivot to talking about um, the actual members of the Pierce family. But go ahead. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, Kendall, I think, is the exception to that. Like he's pretty much has on, um, you know, the business face the whole time. And I, as you were speaking about, like um, Gabby Logan knowing what people want, even Kendall speaking about the deals says about Pierce that like uh, they know. You all know what they need. We all know what they want. Um, mm-hmm. So that's current, currently re- reinforced. And then uh, just one tidbit about Logan. I, I've never seen him this emotionally unglued. And I think it's an interesting parallel with Shiv. Um, because they are unglued and kind of, you know, coming acting from emotional instinct, um, both in the same episode while they're at heads with one another so um yeah i think the more he sees her shake the more that um it sort of uh emboldens him to to fuck with her more but yeah yeah like, well like and sorry <laughs> with i mean with both of them it's a matter of the closer they get to what they want uh the more sort of unsure of themselves they are right this is mm-hmm. this is logan's moment mm-hmm. to actually close this deal that he's been working on and 
the problem is that he is not in control of every aspect of it, and that drives him absolutely mad. Right. Yeah, he's, and he's trying to reign in the family, but they're just, you know, they're not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, so honestly, you could you could you keep a straight face dealing with some of these people? Dealing with Maxim Pierce, no. uh, played oh, by Marklin Baker, talking about the Brookings Institute. Um, I, I, the guy who says he likes to keep three novels and a memoir going, um, <laughs> that for me was like, ugh. <laughs> I, oh my god. And then, of course, like the contrast with Roman, like, of course, he gets he's the one who gets asked the question. Roman, who's probably never read a book in his life. Oh, Jesus. Um, yeah, that was that was pretty awful. But yeah, these characters, uh, I think they did a pretty good job constructing them. I know it could seem a little bit like caricatures, but um, yeah, I think, Brendan, like your biggest issue was just sort of like trying to discern who was it's who. just it's just a lot going on you know the, the yeah. first my first trip through this episode because i rewatched a couple times and i felt a little bit better about it on rewatch but my first trip through this episode you know especially after safe room which you know after mulling about it i want i don't want to throw the gauntlet down but it might be my favorite episode of the series and you know watching the first like 20 minutes of this like up to up through like the first half of the dinner scene i was like feeling really like i don't know if they know what they're doing here because there's just so much going on there's so many characters the exchanges are so abrupt and i couldn't really get a handle on like what the through line was or what we were meant to be taking away or what the scene was really about i think in that dinner scene once shiv and tom kind of get up and leave and they have their private moment that kind of clarified for me what this episode was doing and i think it, it obviously it simplifies itself after that um but yeah very very almost wacky very broad i think with, See, with some of these these characters i think for me so my um the the thing that I've long felt about Succession since early in the first season is that um, the way to appreciate it is as the first successful British comedy that America has ever produced. And, you know, obviously it has like uh, clear yeah. ties to uh, British comedy through Jesse Armstrong. Um, and I think the Pierces are best understood as like clear American aristocracy. And so what this whole episode was doing is like skewering a, a different type of American aristocracy and the fact that the the Pierce children are kind of like interchangeable or it's hard to discern one from the other, I think it's just a function of the fact that um, people who are born into wealth never have to develop personalities. Oh, yeah, that's 100 percent true. And I mean, you know, the way that, you know, they're talking, the, uh, who is it? Mark is talking about his two PhDs, which, of course, Shiv <laughs> prompt, promptly mocks. Um, and all the rest of these guys are just like, yeah, you know, fail kids who want yachts that kind of thing. Um, well, but, and the, uh, the, the funny thing to me is that you know in your heart that at least one of the Pierces voted Trump. And oh I God. think it's, <laughs> I think it's double PhD guy. Listen, there is somebody, <laughs> there is somebody in that family who voted Trump to protect oh, their tax Jesus. holdings. You know, no, that you know, this right, is true. Yeah. I know. I, there I, was, I, there I was also, the... sorry, Gabby, there was also one guy, a young guy at the end of, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Who defended the deal because he was, you know, he was like, "Well, yeah, money is important," type guy. And I have no idea who he is, but he <laughs> voted Trump too. Do you yes. know? <laughs> oh yeah. You yeah. know the character I'm talking of, yeah, Brendan? Yeah yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Wyatt Ingraham Pierce. <laughs> oh. Yeah, the name. Oh shit! Too. You got his name. Um, yeah. <laughs> 
No, yeah. that's no, that's I, I that's, a, them, that's a I deep cut. For sorry. a for like a Warren Buttigieg type family, but you're probably right. I mean, let's be oh, realistic. Oh, look, they they contributed to Hillary and they right. voted for Trump, <laughs> and, they, and they definitely <laughs> went to like Hillary six thousand dollar plate. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's yeah, that's the game. Yeah, you you donate to suppress your guilt, and then you vote for the person you really want. Yeah, they went and, to and they went sh- to an expensive dinner where the press would be there. Exactly, uh, you know, covered covered uh, on their own news station, and then they voted for Trump. That's I guarantee, like at yeah. least one of them did. And I think the idea of class solidarity, even if people put up this pretense of being liberals, was also kind of humorously teased out with. Um, Connor's relationship with Maxim where they were you know Connor was sort of losing it with this guy this Brookings Institute guy but then of course you know they cracked open a bottle of port and Connor offered him uh, the State Department so everything you know that feel when you offer someone the State Department (laughs) after a few tipples too many okay so uh Connor um and with Maxim really briefly I is one of my favorite funniest lines i think is when he calls maxim a deep state wonk with both <laughs> lips firmly glued to the sorest teeth <laughs> and like keep in mind they're trying to win them over what the fuck are you doing connor was i don't think control, connor's yeah. trying that hard <laughs> yeah no most of the kid you know i think really only kendall like was, you said ken yeah ken was on yeah. his best behavior even though you know <laughs> Well, here's here's the here's the here's the thing that this dinner scene starts to eliminate. Although I, it's, I think it's clear before then, you know, for the first time really, when Logan pulls everybody into a uh, into a, a side room and starts yelling at them. Um, but Logan honestly fucks up a lot in this episode. You know, it's it's a really good example of how the kind of top down you know, management style that Logan has can, you know, create adverse results and create friction, you know, because he really miscalculates a lot of things here. Um, You know, he holds all the cards himself and he gives people direction. He doesn't allow any input on his strategy. He doesn't allow for the possibility that someone might see something he doesn't, but it also leads to confusion when he gets things wrong. You know, he expects Shiv to handle Nan, who she doesn't know anything about. He just expects her to do that because she's A, a woman, B, liberal. and he sends uh, Roman uh, to handle Naomi, and you know that's Roman is like the last person you would want to handle Naomi because he already like <laughs> pissed her off by like trying to arrange the deal via text uh, in the first place. And then he's got this, like I said, this ruse with Ken's recovery that I don't think anybody pays any attention to. Um, he also misses out on the person who ends up being the most crucial to the deal, Naomi. You know, you know, to be fair, he didn't know she was going to be there, um, but you know, he sets a. Uh, um, who does he set to, to go after Naomi? Does he set Kendall? Yeah, Roman. No, he, Roman, no, yeah. he, says, he says Roman, right, right, of course. Yeah. Um, but Kendall ends up making the connection with Naomi that ends up sealing the deal, and that happens, you know, pretty much by accident. Right. And then you have Marsha in the mix. The, uh, the Marsha insurgency this episode was mm-hmm. incredible. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. Return I thought it was great. She's been treated like shit since the beginning of this season and has been relegated to be one of his children. Right. Has kept secrets from her, whether it was Shiv running the company, whatever. But yeah, I fucking loved it. I was like, stand up for yourself, queen. <laughs> and she looked fabulous this episode. Oh, Can gorgeous. we also, yeah. you know, just mention that? She's got like the Jackie Kennedy hair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think that I think that probably threw him off too because she's so. I mean, he's so used to her being, uh, you know, his unconditional support, and um, yeah. But I think she's she's feeling, uh, you know, sort of relegated to one of to being one of her his uh, pupils, as she says, and and um, mm-hmm. it it just it doesn't look good. Um, doesn't look good when Nan asks about her childhood in Beirut and Logan makes up that bullshit story about how they talked about it all <laughs> night the first and second night that they dated and and um you know Marsha's kind of like no <laughs> um well yeah she yeah, had that of, great, of that great line secrets. about you couldn't you couldn't know my whole life right and if I were to talk a year yeah which yeah, yeah goes goes back to what a lot of what we've talked about of Marsha's past and and what we don't know and um, you know that's sort of been simmering since the first first season, since early on. But but yeah, I'm I'm glad we had Marsha back, and I'm um, it, you know it makes sense that now that uh, you know he's feeling better and and he's now all the kids are in the fold, whereas in the first season, um, you know early on Roman and, and Shiv were not. Um, that he doesn't have to rely on her as much, and so. Um, you know, I don't think this, I think this is probably a new dynamic for them. Well, right. And he was ill on the first season. And so she had to take care of him, um, which was a great dynamic. It, it, it appeared and she was very protective and, right, and she um, still challenged him then, but it was in a motivating way. It wasn't in, I mean, clearly this time around she's, she's angry. Right. Yeah. And she did have all those good lines that, she knew would motivate him to go to the Reckney ball mm-hmm. or walk or whatever. That those were fabulous. Right. The wrecking ball. The wrecking ball. That yeah, was, that as was they call it. Uh, also um, during that dinner, yeah, I don't know if you guys noticed, but I, I read that they um, they had just a million different cameras going, so that um, the actors had to sort of always be on their toes maybe that's part of what like threw you off brendan but they they kept changing lenses apparently and got throughout the um oh yeah it's it's very chaotic it got close you got closer and closer which i think um sort of magnified and the chaos which starts to unravel and i think um poor tom oh there's and there's a there's a wonderful shot of shiv when logan is Mm -hmm. talking about the succession plan that looks like it might be like a dolly in or something where the camera Mm -hmm. just kind of glides slowly up to her face um which is is really striking um so yeah there's there's some there's some really nice uh, cinematography in this episode yeah yeah and 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 the um shots between nam and uh or namie and kendall as they're starting to kind of get to know each other are also just like tremendous in their faces and um yeah there are a couple great shots of shiv in reaction mode to the tea spilling which we'll get to yeah <laughs> yeah so the so, so shiv and tom kind of blow up this whole dinner um they, they start by kind of uh punch bagging tom as the plan is um tom's put in this position that he's set that he's told greg he's going to set him up for so many times it's like look i just need to i need to punch bag you a little bit and logan calls it you know making him wear the hair shirt which is great has like these overtones of like medieval uh uh, uh self-punishment that kind of thing um but you know they uh re- that's another thing where Rhea's very on message and she 
you know, they put all the blame on, you know, Tom for the politics at ATN, which is, you know, I don't know if Logan had this in mind necessarily when he gave Tom the job, but if so, it's brilliant because, you know, he's he, he can easily yank Tom because he's not the person who makes the decisions there. It's Sid. Um, so they blame Tom for everything that happens there, and they can conveniently have him removed to, um, uh, uh, to satisfy the Pierces. Um, but that also it's... leads to the funniest line in the episode when... Uh, Tom is put on the spot about like what he would do with the Pierce holdings and he just goes ah king of the edible leaves his majesty the spinach <laughs> so that's that's the funny thing about the Tom ploy like you said Logan is uh, sort of making some missteps and I feel like that's an obvious one right it didn't he didn't sell himself as the right wing ogre um, he's <laughs> no. just this kind of like you know, a bash like Midwestern dork who who likes spinach, right? Corn-fed <laughs> agricultural walk. <laughs> um, so uh. even even that that you know kind of like clever ploy from Logan just fell flat in reality. That that didn't come through for him either. Right. Well, it might have been a better choice. Like as Tom, of course, tried to pawn it off to and. Right. Um, Brendan, you had mentioned, and I thought of this as well, it was like Greg to Logan is, or not Greg and Gregory, first of all, but, um, uh, Tom to Logan in this episode is, uh, Gregory to Tom. Am I flipping that incorrectly? But like, he's the punching Mm. bag for the first time. And I thought that was it. But without any of the fondness that's there between Greg and Tom. Gregory. Uh, no, I, yes, I won't he be goes, calling he goes, that. he goes by Gregory now. <laughs> oh, uh, come on. Brandon. <laughs> the other thing I loved about Tom this episode is, is when he and Shiv uh, kind of run out into the hallway to regroup. And he's, you know, he's sitting there at, at the dinner um, and throughout the episode just sort of like having other people discuss about discuss him no longer having his job right there's they're all talking about like well will he will he still be in charge of news and like no um but tom was like really quite supportive in that little pep talk that he gave to Shiv, which was like totally a a nice moment between the two of them he was actually like he he was pretty convincing he came through in that yeah if if in nothing else and that was after Shiv said, well, you have some dumb ideas. Yeah, she um, was horrible. And the thing she said yeah. about him being, like, allergic to integrity or something <laughs> like that, when Nan made the ridiculous line about, I forgot what it was, but um, clearly this family is very preoccupied with honor. Um, yeah. Which is pretty ironic and hilarious yeah. uh, with what comes to happen. Well, well yeah, shout so, out to Mon- Mondale the dog, who we haven't heard from since. Uh, <laughs> still <laughs> alive, wasp, apparently. Still I, kicking. I, I love the uh, the waspy woman's reaction to that. She's like, oh, our dog is named Mondale. I saw a bunch of people online saying, oh, yeah, they're fake dog Mondale. And I'm not going to bring up the Johnny come latelys. <laughs> Watch the I first season, people. Justice That's for left Mondale. unsaid. But what the fuck have you been watching? <laughs> If but, you don't, yeah, if, if you don't, if you don't remember Mondale, you know, come on. Yeah, but speaking to that that moment where Tom was really kind to Shiv, um, and even 
later after in the, in the bedroom when she's really kind of unraveling. Um, I've seen a lot of people like speculate and question why Shiv is with Tom. And I think this episode really uh, kind of illuminates that pretty clearly that Shiv, you know, not to like get reductive about daddy issues, but Shiv has clearly always been vying for dad's attention, um, for his confidence in her. And, you know, she, she clearly hasn't had that, and it's, a, it's probably her greatest insecurity. It's why she's sort of carved out her own life for herself or tried to, and why she's having such a difficult time being in the family and being subordinated. But it seems like Tom is clearly the, the anti-Logan with respect to Shiv. Like, she has his undivided attention, all of his confidence, all of his devotion. I mean, he always stands for her. Like, even, like, from the second episode when he's like, I think Shiv would be the best CEO. Like, he really just worships her. And I think she knows that um, she could check out of their relationship at certain times, and that makes her feel safe and secure, um, but that he will never check out. And unfortunately, you know, I don't see it ending well, but... Um, I mean, look, Tom, Tom is a wife. Tom is what traditionally uh, a wife of a of a rich man right. would be. Oh my that's God. that's his function. He's he's supportive. He looks the other way when necessary. Um, he is devoted, and you know he sort of uh, does what you need him to do. <laughs> oh my God, Brendan! I am or Brandy. I am like totally taken <laughs> to the finale when he says, "I'm so glad." to be you know call you wife i have a wife now wife wife wife, <laughs> wife. wife. Tom, tom you're a wife <laughs> yes and you're spot on they're telling us so much all the time he is in the truest sense a wife guy <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's not a good relationship but it's real you know there's there's something there they they do they do provide something for each other you know Oh, yeah, uh, maybe absolutely. maybe yeah. Tom is doing a bit more work there than, than Shiv is, but they do provide something real for each other, even if it's not super healthy. Right. Um, but yeah, so then Shiv kind of shits the bed. Uh, <laughs> she uh, goes back to the table and talk turns to the, um, the titular uh, succession plan. And, uh, you know, Logan is sort of waffling and mumbling and going oh you know i don't like to you know deal in hypotheticals etc um and shiv decides for some amazing reason to you know just say hey it's it's gonna be me and then the <laughs> i want to shout out um, our fr uh, friend of the show anna on the no context royco account who grabbed the incredible sequence of reaction shots that follows this <laughs> where logan looks like he has a bad taste in his mouth roman looks like he's been stabbed in the balls <laughs> and and just like kind of lowers his gaze and looks kind of forlorn at the table like everything that he's thought that he's uh, uh feared for his future has come true and you know mark at the end of the table is like roman what happened and roman's like uh my life just ended so <laughs> And after the Roman shot, there was the Ken shot. Um, yeah. I got to add that in. But, um, yeah, that scene was amazing in so many ways. But speaking, you know, of, like, some of the shots and how fantastic the shot was, and this may have been the one you were speaking of earlier, Brendan, but was um, – uh, 
You're talking about you're talking about where the the camera kind of pushes in on Shiv or Logan while yeah, Logan's talking about that. Yeah, it pushes in on Shiv while Logan is speaking, and it's this her face. I mean, she does a lot of great facial work in this episode, similar to Jeremy Strong in every episode. Um, and <laughs> Jeremy Strong, the inventor of good acting. That's right. That's right. If you yes. Um, Jeez, I just had it. Anyways, but yeah, there was the shot, then the uh, look back, and then another shot. And it was just, it's devastating. But it's also, it's just really, really beautifully shot. Um, You know, I'm not sure how, if you want to go into Mark Mylod or if that's like, he he did episode one of season two, right? And blocked the whole uh, shiv. Uh, Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah. This is yeah. This is the first episode he's been back for since uh, since that one. But although, of course, he is an executive producer on the show now, and he is, I think, largely responsible for the look of the show. Him and Adam McKay. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, the even more brutal than the way some of those um, reactions are framed is you know the beat that comes afterwards when you know everybody seems to take that really awkwardly and recognize that some enormous faux pas has occurred. And it seems to cement for the Pierces that the Roys are really not on the same page. And as everybody kind of files out awkwardly to go stargaze, I think as Mark suggests, um, <laughs> at the, Shiv stays behind and she gets up and she turns and she kind of grips the back of the chair and looks down. And it's, it's, it's this very childlike posture where she's waiting for Daddy to reprimand her, right? And she's waiting for Dad to yell at her. And instead, Logan does something that is all, that is pro- probably worse than that for Shiv, uh, because he seems to not even realize that she's expecting that, and he just goes, "Well, uh, let's go." He robs her of the, even this possibility for a, a private, authentic moment between them. You know, she feels cut off at absolutely every corner. Yeah, I felt a little callback again to episode one. Um when they when he first offers her the role and kind of the distance between them this time the table um prior the desk but i got like a little bit of uh those kind of feels um from that shot yeah it's excruciating to watch yeah um and it's also i mean you know not to like uh get into any weird freudian shit but like it's it's also a very familiar feeling to anybody who has like wanted uh, a commitment that somebody is unwilling to give you right and you just kind of like keep pushing and keep asking and keep saying like you know can you give me some reassurances here can we like um can you give me any kind of gesture that says yes this is really going to happen um and and it feels like you know her deciding to to make this like incredibly reckless bold move um felt like a kind of last ditch effort to be like tell me this is real right yeah yeah and i think Um, yeah i think him leaving her hanging like that was absolutely just the worst possible um hit she could have took given that you know what what she needs like you said is is validation reassurance because i mean even in in the first episode of the season you know with the is this for real um You know, I think I think Shiv is her pride is severely damaged, and I think she, um, 
you know, we, we've known this is an insecurity of Shiv, that she, um, you know, she wants to be the boss, she wants to be the top dog, and whatever she's doing, she needs, she needs control, and she's clearly completely out of control, she has no idea what her dad is thinking, and, and then that leads us to that wonderful scene back in the bedroom where, um, you really see her kind of imploding for the first time emotionally, um, we get a little bit of that in Austerlitz when her dad calls her out, and, and I think there are some parallels to Austerlitz in this episode, but, um, you know, she's asking Tom, is there booze? She's pacing around. She's taking pills, which I'm assuming, you know, it's like a Xanax or something. I mean, we don't really see Shiv um, unravel like this because I think she hates this part of herself so much. Um, she spends so much time trying to be detached and be this edge lord. And in the words of, of our guest from Prague, Cam. Um, irony gal yeah that that for her to have to actually feel these feelings is, is quite unbearable yeah and kate you talked about you know you call back to the the blocking in that scene in summer palace with the way that she circles and circles logan without getting closer to him and i think we read that at the time as this kind of natural wariness that she has of him but it also turns out to be this foreshadowing where she circles and paces and makes all these moves but she never gets any closer to him right she never gets any closer to his seat or to him personally well it's also just yeah. a classic example of how logan controls people which is through information right he, he has information that Shiv wants, which is, you know, this whether this is actually going to happen. And he manages to keep everybody in his circle um, kind of uh, dependent on him and suspicious of each other because he's, you know, he's an information dealer and he will withhold and he will grant and he will confide and he will lie uh, based on whatever, you know, the circumstance requires. But all she wants, she wants him to just, you know, uh, come out and announce it, to just say her name and say this is happening. And, and he refuses to do it because he refuses to do anything that anybody else asks of him. Right. And by the way, Brandy, we love Freudian uh, oh, stuff, yeah, keep so it keep it coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's interesting to see, to watch Shiv's arc and how different she is um, in this season versus season one, where we've talked about how she's like emotionally detached, plays. It, she reminds me of the classic uh, cool girl in Gone Girl, um, like who pretends, which is the key part, to like be so disaffected and unconcerned and cool with whatever. But that's not really. Shiv, she's play acting that similar to the protagonist. I forget her name and Gone Girl and um, Amy. But Amazing thank you. <laughs> and we see that Amy in the end uh, also was phoning it in and faking it. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's very, very common, especially for women, to you know, kind of be asked to to tamp down our emotions. And I can't imagine growing up and such like a masculine household um, with mm -hmm. kind of cruel, sadistic parents, um, her having a, an easy time sort of <laughs> developing an emotional life. Uh, clearly, they're all fractured that way, but um, it's interesting because this is the first time, like you said, where Shiv's arc, um, you know, she's kind of been on top of the world and, you know, she had a little dust up, but then she was taken back under dad's wing by the end of, of season one and you know she's sort of at a high point in the first episode of this season but we see sort of the gradual degeneration of um 
of that, which, you know, most people predicted something was going to go down that, you know, Logan's word couldn't be, couldn't be trusted. But, um, I think just, yeah, I think the, the, the vagueness of it, um, is perhaps the most painful part, but that's what Logan likes to do to, to torture people. Yeah, I mean, Logan, Logan is a black hole of a father in that he's, like, inscrutable to his children, but also in the sense that the closer you get to him, the more, like, stretched and distorted you become. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. He, like, makes you question yourself, but also, like, dream of and, you know, unconsciously search for his validation and approval. And because of how, like, the mind fuck you know, that he has. Um, but yeah, season two, she's just totally different, starting with the Summer Palace, where she kind of pretend, pretends, is my interpretation, that she doesn't want the job. And then, of course, you know, she says, of course I fucking want the job, when he threatens tweeting, and she gets her hopes up. And so I see her, like, reverting to childhood Shiv. Um, it's kind of how... I interpreted it and you know we see in further episodes um you know her constantly trying to um make dad proud uh which wasn't happening in season one and um prove herself constantly and then and we see her getting ecstatic and giddy about it and that's what's so heartbreaking especially if you thought as I did that this was gonna fall through so um yeah painful for shiv even though she's also a fucking bitch yeah they balance it out but i want i want her to be my bitch (laughs) (laughs) i I want to i want to undo every all 37 buttons of her high-waisted pants (laughs) oh god they're fabulous they're so good yeah they're how do you even get those pants i want them yeah i know i feel like it's it's gonna like there's she's gonna influence the sartorial culture right now like you're gonna see those high-waisted <laughs> pattern pants popping up everywhere the turtle oh man look. i've i already bought a turtleneck <laughs> you're ready to go Eva, ivanka got a shiv cut oh god, oh, god. I, I don't like to yeah, think about ivanka I watching the this comparisons show. of shiv to ivanka Ugh. i um, think they did that on purpose if i no, I think oh. so too. But yeah. oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, does that yeah. mean that does that mean that Tom is Jared? <laughs> All right, I'm I'm steering I'm steering out of this conversation, <laughs> yeah. and we're yeah. we're, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna take a hard right and see what's going on in uh, Roman and Tabitha's bedroom. Yeah. Our, our um, next which is, oh God, which, there is there's a lot going the, on there. <laughs> a, a lot going on. Uh, Brandy, do you want to do you want to take that and talk about uh, what happens with uh, Roman and Tabitha's uh, uh, night out? Do, do I want to uh, peer into the abyss that is Roman Roy's sexual pathology? I don't even... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, personally, I would rather be dead, which it turns out is how he likes his sexual partners. I felt the same way! I was like, what's the big deal? Close your eyes, bitch! You said you want to solve his... <laughs> Come on! It's not that big of a deal. Everyone else is kink shaming. I mean, this is 2019. Thank you. She doesn't like it. It's not that big a deal if you, like, fuck regularly and want to, you know, throw in a little dead girl action (laughs) on a Saturday. Sure, yeah, she would have been down, yeah. 
But if you if you really if you never fuck, that's like that's a that's a hard opening move. You got to ramp up to it. Yeah, you really got to work your way up to like full on dead girl. I wasn't expecting that to be his kink. It was very weird. I, well, somebody made the point like I'm not actually sure if it is. Like he yeah. might be kind of exploring and trying to figure out what his thing is because yeah. the thing with Jerry is still very new for him, and I don't think that he necessarily wants that to be his thing. I mean, um, you I know think he. What's- Sorry, go ahead. I don't know. No, no, you go ahead. I mean, I think what's clear is that he, he has a humiliation fetish that is very, yes. very deep-rooted in his childhood and the way he was treated. And, um, you know, it was probably the way that Roman, as the youngest and as sort of the, the jackal of the family, got attention. And, um, you know, it, it speaks to sort of his, his maladaptive development as a person that um, the only way that you know he got attention people talking about him was to be the butt of the joke um to be humiliated and so you know he sort of internalized that as something um to you know that that sort of shapes his um you know his entire sort of uh personality and the way he relates to other people and his discomfort with intimacy and anything that's approximates earnestness and and we see the humiliation fetish clearly with jerry and i think um you know it 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 got weird this episode like the look on his face before he goes into the bathroom and he's in jerry's bedroom and she starts with the (laughs) with the down talk um there's like this really i know i said the word feral earlier but there's this like really disturbing feral look on on garen colgan's face i mean he he, it's very well acted but you could see i mean the the humiliation yeah, sorry, the humiliation. Brandy? Sorry, the humiliation fetish to me, I think, is like just so easily traced back to that disclosure from another great episode about uh, Roman asking to be put in the dog kennel, right? Mm, and enjoying yeah. it, and enjoying, yeah, enjoying it. He might not. Have <laughs> we were talking it in the about, but yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, he clearly has like an entire constellation of issues, as they all do. Um, but he, you know, a uh, healthy sexual expression is not something that uh, I feel like he will probably ever really come to. Professor can't fuck. <laughs> <laughs> that was mean. That felt incredibly mean to me. I know, but yeah. poor Tabs. Yeah. Come on, she's horny. I, I also felt it was mean before even the, like, death thing when she's like, look, I don't have time for your neuroses tonight. I'll just go sleep with Naomi. Um, yeah, but at the but, same time, like, you gotta you gotta assume the context is that she probably puts up with a lot of that, right? Totally. Yeah, for sure. Um, there's a nice bit of circularity there, though, with the way that Tabitha just kind of openly tells everybody at dinner that they don't fuck. Um, I think kind of assuming that most people will not take it seriously. Um, and Roman doesn't like that. He's like, no, no, we're normal, etc. But then at the end of the episode in the breakfast line, he's like, yeah, I jerked (laughs) off in Jerry's bathroom. In front of everybody. I was like, what? (laughs) And then she, like, Tabitha laughs. I mean, it's like. And what then, do you think? Ta- <laughs> what do you think Tabitha would think if she if she knew what was actually going on, or does she already know? I think she would probably laugh hurt. her ass off. I think she'd be hurt. You think she'd be hurt? The whole, hmm. I, I think she would be. I mean, their whole the reason why uh, she you know sort of like tolerates the fact that they don't have a sex life is because she thinks that he can't fuck anyone. Mm, yeah. 
I, th I think she would be uh, probably annoyed to realize that uh, yeah. he is he is getting off with right. yeah uh, <laughs> annoyed at minimum right right probably. right like yeah. why yeah. didn't why didn't you ask me to like do this humiliation fetish why'd you have to go to fucking <laughs> your your sister's godmother um, I mean she's you... putting him down all the time why doesn't right. that work <laughs> exactly yeah that's that's a good point yeah why why wouldn't it work with her and I mean she's down for it like she would totally be i have like to debase him in in a sexual um situation but yeah maybe he's just he really likes her and i think you know maybe it's just incredibly embarrassing for him to um you know to come around and admit that to her but, i mean you know, i think it's yeah. also the fact that jerry functions as a mother figure for him which adds exactly. a whole yes other, a whole nother layer of <laughs> whole um, other layer. pathology <laughs> Brandy, right. you stole the words from my mouth. Yeah, we talked um, about this quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. I, I, there's some Oedipus shit going on for sure. Um, Oedip the Oedipus complex is not only about killing your father, but fucking your mother. Um, I'd yeah. love to get an expert on. But, uh, you know, I do think it is hurtful to Tabitha probably, and I certainly don't condone um Roman or Roman oh the Romanity uh um you know act but we have to acknowledge that Jerry is fucking hot and I appreciate that he like can see I, that I would let Jerry call me a worm absolutely yeah. seriously a revolting you know slime puppy I'll take it She's Jerry come on She's fucking sexy. Yeah. Jerry, step on me. I think we can all agree on that. <laughs> <laughs> I do like the uh, the bit of, like, the, the acting between uh, Tabitha and Roman in the scene where he, like, jumps her and, like, mashes his teeth into hers, basically. Um, and she, like, throws him off and they, like, and, like, she, like, laughs and then uh, he, like, takes her hand. Like, there's a really nice bit of just, like, intimacy between those actors where you do sense that this relationship is more than just, I don't know, one of convenience for them. Um, so, oh, yeah, you do. there's a real tenderness. Yeah. Yeah, it's really nice. And, yeah, yeah like she said, you do we're, have to we're, wonder how real it is. Yeah. She said we're, like, eunuch besties. It works. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, it's like I, I don't think I don't think we had really seen I don't think we had really seen that like kind of intimacy, but we had gotten the sense that like yeah they get along they have fun together etc. But like yeah that that like yeah that tenderness that there's that's there between them I think this was the first time we had really seen that. Yeah, I think maybe he's, you know, I'm not sure if Roman is capable of love. I, I see more antisocial tendencies in him every week, but something approximating love, um, you know, certainly a huge huge contrast from how he was with uh grace in the first season i mean i think tabitha really is the kind of woman he wishes that he could you know fuck and have a normal relationship with because they get along so well they're they are like besties and she's hot as fuck also mm. <laughs> so while speaking of uh relationships real or not or burgeoning um, Ken meets uh, maybe a love interest in this episode. We'll see. Um, but uh, Naomi Pierce, played by Annabelle Dexter-Jones, is sort of the big introduction of this episode, who we suspect will probably recur uh, quite a bit. Um, and, um, uh, yeah, there's uh, the, the, the point where they sort of 
uh, have their first interaction across that dinner table after uh, Naomi recites this monologue from Richard II. Again, another incredible bit of wasp stereotyping. They were reciting Shakespeare instead of saying grace. Really, They're so just Unitarian, like, they've done away with Jesus. Right. <laughs> oh my God. So just like teeth-grindingly awful people. Yeah. Um, but she recites this monologue from Richard II about how, you know, man is nothing without honor, etc. My honor is my life. A dig, I'm sure, at the uh, foul and virtueless Roy's, um, especially uh, as we learn with uh, the history that she has um, with the Roy family, or at least with the Waystar properties. Um you know, and there's this there's this bit where, you know, uh, Ken talks about, you know, being in recovery and Naomi says, yeah, I know. And Ken goes, oh, I guess uh, my reputation precedes me. And she goes, no, I could just tell, you know, um, and it's it's it, I, I thought that was honestly kind of touching in, you know, even though, you know, it, it stings a little bit. But I think Ken is used to the first part being true. He's used to, you know, people just kind of. Um, thinking of him as his name and, you know, um, just dismissing him based on that or forming their opinions of him based on that, but he's not used to someone just kind of, you know, looking him square in the eye and sizing him up as Naomi does. Um, and so you, you immediately sense that there's like a, a genuine connection between the two of them on some level. Right. I miss that, Brendan, as you know, in the first watch. And it, it really was a tender moment and like, I can see you, you can see me type thing. Um, so there's like an there's an intimacy that's like already formed um and after her recitation and while she's doing it like he's captivated by her clearly um yeah it might be the first time we really see ken like experiencing emotions again this season Mm. um like she she definitely shakes something up in him um and i think i think the fact that she's also an addict and in recovery and struggling with recovery and i think there was definitely an unspoken language there of solidarity um you know something you hear frequently from people who suffer from these things that um you know that it's it's part of why group therapy is so effective because um knowing that somebody knows what it feels like um you know there's no greater comfort and so ken has just had so such little comfort um you know throughout these months and, uh, you know, really kind of throughout his life. And, and you know, it, it could end up being incredibly destructive, clearly, when two addicts uh, get involved. But um, I, I do think there was something very tender and, and it spoke to sort of the nature of, of addiction and addiction in families like this where, um, you know, you sort of become the black sheep. It seems like both of these people are the black sheep, the respective black sheep of their families. And... Um, and yeah, uh, I think there was something just, you know, the unspoken language of, of people who, who suffer and struggle with addiction and, and related issues. I, I don't know that she's the black sheep, though. I mean, it was made very clear that her opinion would be weighted quite right. heavily, that right, she right, was right. still respected, right? And I, she, think that I, think moment... sees, I think she probably sees herself, though, as a bit of a black sheep, just because of... Yes. Well, in that, yeah, in the, I, I, think, in the, I think the moment in that when she gave the toast, what was, what I think, captivating for Kendall wasn't her erudition. It's the fact that she was just unafraid of his father, right? Mm. She she mm. sort of gave that very pointedly at and about Logan, and I think that that is probably thrilling for Kendall to just yeah. see somebody uh, who is unmoved by this, uh, you know, uh, this force that's moved him his whole life. Yeah, it's a very good point. 
And one little uh, detail at the dinner um, as Nan hands Naomi the sp- uh, the spoon, the Shakespeare spoon. Before I think she grips the scepter. <laughs> she grips her hand. It's this tender moment where we, you know, it becomes very clear that they have a close relationship. So I think you might be spot on, Gabby, that she feels like a black sheep, but um, but there's Nan a lot clearly, of love yeah. for her. Yeah. So I'm interested in like, you know, and maybe I'm sure we'll learn later, but like the trauma shared um, as all addicts have experienced. um, Yeah. uh, And she reveals a little bit about that um, in the later helicopter scene about, you know, her mother and, um, you know, the Mm self-harm. But so incredibly vulnerable. Yeah. Like really, really touching it's nice to see ken laughing again <laughs> yeah i mean yeah. just you know an, an incredible performance that made me feel for two people who were sitting in their own private helicopter it's <laughs> 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 a really gargantuan task that show is constantly doing that what the fuck yeah they're, they're unlocked helicopter really that's just sitting in the middle of a field right yeah i mean but that also that was like uh sort of a brilliant move right you put you put two people who are known for being people who crash into a helicopter and then they almost they almost take off and you know will inevitably crash but the two of them together like manage not to at least in that moment yeah it's it's another moment it's like it's not even metaphorical right you know this uh that they're yeah this uh, this idea of ken not being able to take flight right or someone keeping him grounded you know and when he first arrived, Roman makes that joke about him spiraling down. Pretty, uh, yeah. Encapsulates kind of a lot of the show. <laughs> Just that one line. But yeah, yeah for sure. what did you guys think of uh, the Naomi Ken um, intimacy? Do you guys think that um, there was cynicism on Ken's part or that it was, you know. Well, I, I, like, like we've seen Ken negotiate before, like especially in very recent episodes. And he's usually not this subtle. He's usually um, much more direct in the vein of his father. You know, he he's clearly learned from Logan, you know, um, and, you know, it seems to be imitating him a lot more in these recent episodes this season. Um, and he usually, you know, he gets right to the deal. He gets right to the offer. You know, he you know, he plays hardball and he's very direct. Um, this idea that he, you know, approaches Naomi by talking about, you know, the things they have in common and, you know, what he senses that she needs and wants. Um, is something that, you know, even if he is kind of thinking about the deal, of course he's thinking about the deal. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, I have to believe that that's sincere because it just isn't the way that Ken's just usually not really capable of that kind of subterfuge. He doesn't really operate that way. It's also just something that he so clearly wants to be yeah. free of it, to, you know. Yes! To, he's talking to about himself. To get away, yeah, to, you know, to to give her that opportunity, right. I think, for him, is probably the closest he'll come to something like Grace. Exactly, yeah. Right, yeah, it, I had all caps, why can't Ken do this? <laughs> but, you know, he's stuck in his family, as Brendan mentioned a little bit before, and I also don't know if he thinks he deserves it. Um, yeah. In regards to Nam and uh, Kendall, you all know how much I love their budding relationship, as we <laughs> talked about before. I was a little uh, 
wary on the first watch, but I really, really bought, got into it the second watch. And um, it was really tender. You know, they were clearly identifying yeah. with each other. And like Brandy said, I think he's, you know, maybe for the first time he sees an opportunity to like vicariously live through someone who's gone through a lot of what he has and maybe be free of it. Um, I think he genuinely meant that. Um, and yeah. maybe the, I, I think the, um, the fact that it ended up, you know, helping with the deal was sort of just a byproduct. I think, um, you know, they had been drinking and, and, and obviously, you know, doing coke. So I don't think he was very much, and, and he really just seemed enraptured by her. So I, yes. I don't think he was in business mode. You know, I think he got, he got philosophical. And it was almost like a second there that you thought maybe he was going to tell, because he says like everybody has their shit, you know? And I, I feel like Kendall just is, you're probably right, Kate, that, that he doesn't feel like he deserves to be free um, after what he's done. And, and, um, well, we also heard him say in Safe Room that, um, you know, he asked Shiv to see that he's taken care of, right? right you know, the right. implication being that he can't take care of himself, that he wouldn't survive, you know, if he was cut off from the family, that kind of thing. But um, I, I just want, I wouldn't be surprised if this lasts by the end of the season, if Naomi is the person that he tells about you know, the accident. Oof. I thought the, you know, when, when Naomi was explaining what happened and why she doesn't like ATN, like, like I've already said, she was like so emotionally vulnerable and Ken was like really listening mm-hmm. and enraptured, as you said. And I know I always quote too much things, but you know, like is this could be Kendall speaking to himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also, I've come to the conclusion, which was secondary, but that it's not cynical. But don't block your own escape. Just imagine getting out from under all this, right? right. You can take the money and you can just get the fuck out of then and then you're free. And, you know, Kendall's emotional journey is like the sweet spot for me. And so, yeah, it, it, it was really powerful to hear him say that and like like i said speaking to himself but even i do think he was giving um uh clear advice that he thought would be good for naomi yeah, knowing that, was, that wasn't that a business pitch that was like the what kendall has as wisdom he's he's talking to himself he's talking about yeah. himself and what he wants Right. And I mean, right, I, I do he, think yeah, he hasn't I, I been do able think... to do it until he found somebody that he really like has this sort of instinctual trust with just based on shared experience. Right. Yeah. And getting to that emotional place like the other time. And we're going to talk about Austerlitz that he was able to was on drugs as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a it's a shame for addicts that, you know, yeah, sometimes. Yeah, but it's 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 a compelling you know um, rendering of of what addiction is like that you know when there's a reason people use and it's because they feel a way that they want to feel when um, when they're using and Ken clearly is much more emotionally in touch with himself um, in every way and and also physically you know the body language thing and, and, and Jeremy Strong's physical acting just so compelling um and the difference when he's you know having fun and on drugs which you know, we've only really seen a couple times versus 
the rest of his life where he's just sort of, uh, you know, got these slumped shoulders and sad look on his face. The only actor, Jeremy <laughs> The inventor of acting. Yeah, the inventor of acting, good. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that... Um, Oh shoot! I don't know where I'm going with this. Uh, but you know we've uh, we've we've talked. I know you folks wanted to bring in Austerlitz a little bit. We've been running long, and I I know we want to get to you know obviously the deal table at the end. Uh, but I think um, what I was thinking of was just that you know the obviously this whole episode ends with Ken uh, waking up in uh, a less than ideal state. Um, he shits the bed, right? And you know I, I, what that tied into at least for me on the first watch. And the way that it leaves, the way that this episode leaves Ken and Naomi with this sort of freighted glance um, as uh, he's getting on the helicopter to leave is, you know, what he tells her is that, you know, he's he's getting it together, et cetera, right? Um, and obviously what that, you know, wake-up call implies is that, that that's not true at all. You know, in fact, he's getting worse. And he's been on this downward spiral for a while with no way to really pull out of it. Um, but now maybe he has a reason to. There might be something, mm-hmm. you know, in Naomi that motivates him to do that. Um, but you know, mm. we'll see. Mm, I, I don't. I don't know that that two addicts coming together is really <laughs> the path for recovery. I'm not saying it's a good idea, but right. I mean, you That's... know, the, that scene when he wakes up and just the the absolute like the utter lack of shock or horror. That like you know this probably isn't the first time he's woken up to shit stains on the bed. This kind of like resignation to just pull the sheets up and like oh well here we go again uh, was was uh, tragic. And uh, the only I saw one theory on Twitter that the reason he uh, ended up having loose bowels is because Naomi spent the night pegging him. <laughs> very I, on brand brandy i know i can't yeah what what subreddits are you on no that was just that was a theory i saw on twitter and i was like you know what that's not true but it makes me feel a little better so i might i might embrace it yeah well, that scene that, that you're referring to brendan between naomi and Kendall as they're doing the coke and I do know we're running long so I I mean it's so hilarious and brutally sad because they're both trying to convince themselves that they're all right that they're actually in recovery um I mean they both are saying like you know but I'm getting it together and and it's like clear denial I mean clearly denial and it's just um you know, it's funny. I mean, that's the addict's pattern. That's what happens. And and they both, you know, try to express how good they're doing. Yeah. And putting their shit together. And it's just like, come the, come the fuck on. Yeah. And I don't know if pulling out of the spiral for Ken is necessarily not doing drugs anymore. That would probably help. But it would help at least if he didn't feel like he wanted to die all the time. And that might be what's happening. Yeah. That might help. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so do we want to push through to, you know, the, uh, uh, the negotiations at the end of the episode? Yeah. Yeah. I, the, the Austerlitz stuff pretty much, um, you know, we weaved in and out. I, I just think it was interesting that, um, you know, we, for the second time we have the family on this project spearheaded by Logan, you know, for the sake of the business and, in Austerlitz, um, you know, in the words of Stewie, you need to fix the family, 
Um, in this episode, it's Frank saying, you know, they're concerned about your moral character. So it's sort of uh, the family's being asked to perform um, civility and righteousness for the sake of optics and, and for the sake of, of business ventures. And um, they try, but all it ends up doing is sort of revealing their, their deepest fractures and weaknesses. And we see that with the, um, the way that they just um, kind of literally dump their dirty laundry all over the table um <laughs> ken quite literally um at the end that poor housekeeper but oh, you know the she look, was the look from the maid was everything i know i know but yeah just everything from you know all the ridiculous behavior throughout that dinner um you know revealing to the pierces that these people are kind of whacked out um so yeah it reminded me of austerlitz where they were sort of expected to um you know, put on this front, but nobody really bought it because, you know, Logan is full of shit, and it, you know, sort of leads to, to a couple of, of tense um, breaking points, but, um, you know, the difference in this case is that, you know, they actually had to impress a group of human beings, another family, um, so the stakes were much higher, but in both cases, uh, it seems like Logan wins. Oh, for sure, and 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 all the kids are more emotionally regressed. I think, yeah, like you said yeah. earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep, they're children again. Mm-hmm. Um, Brandy, are you good with staying on? Just yeah, to yeah, yeah. Check? Okay, great. Thank you, thank you, thank you. No problem. <laughs> so yeah, so uh, Logan ends up getting in the room, you know, face to face with Nan because Naomi who it seems, you know, kind of similar to Kendall. If she's not a, a black sheep, she still has this sort of favored position, it seems, where, you know, for all of Kendall's faults, he's still the one that Logan goes to. And, you know, for whatever, you know, Naomi's been through, you know, she and Nan still have this closeness where it seems that her opinion is really the only one that counts. And whatever Kendall said made enough of an impression or gave Naomi some idea that the sale should go through. So he gets in the room and uh once again Rhea seems to be really on message you know there's this very almost scripted clean back and forth with her and logan where she says i think we're worth more logan says well i can go to 25 and Rhea just basically goes uh okay yeah i'm satisfied that's it um but uh the last little condition that nan puts on the sale is that they want shiv to be announced they want the sort of pot to be sweetened and the deal to be made more palatable by, you know, someone young, a woman, someone with more liberal politics, to sort of, uh, you know, probably, you know, make them feel better about it, to suppress their guilt about selling out, and to probably make the sale look a little bit better uh, in the press. But Logan is not about this. Um, And what this scene, once again, like, brings to the fore is his discomfort and his contempt for these people and his really wanting them to make the deal about him. He wants it to be on his terms. He doesn't want it to be softened by, you know, accepting Shiv. Um, and it's, it's very personal, you know, for Logan in this sense. And he's making them say that, yes, we accept your dominion over us. We accept you, your personality, your money. Uh, that is enough for us. Well, I mean, it also just is like, uh, such such a clear and typical example of his petulance uh, you know for he's he's the the patriarch and you know you say all like throughout the episode the kids sort of regressed to childhood 
but but Logan is really uh, the one who throws tantrums, right? He is this. Mm-hmm. He is petulant. He uh, just bristles under uh, any sort of demand from anyone else. He refuses to, you know, even even when he's when he's getting what he wants, if it's not under precisely his terms, then it it turns to ash in his mouth. You know, he he has to be. Um, uh, utterly in control of of every aspect of this, and it's so funny because you know he he sort of asks Shiv to to put herself forth as exactly the sort of person that they would feel comfortable with, and then when they say yes, yes, she is in fact that, and we want her. Anybody else telling him what to do is just utterly intolerable to him. Right. It's so it's so childlike. Like. It would be so simple, you know, you already told Shiv, they want Shiv. It's right there, but um, I think he just is so deeply resentful of anybody um, asking him to, you know, change something about his presentation, um, make himself more palatable to uh, these types of people and and their audience, and I think, um, you know, it, it goes back to Logan's difficulties with this kind of um, wealth when he thinks of himself very much as this self-made man who had to suffer so much to get where he is and then he looks at all these people around him you know saying that money is a social construct and um, you can't put a value on what we do and and you know Pierce helped take down the Berlin Wall I, mean, I, I think it's I think it must be infuriating for him and I would love to like have seen you know because Logan knows how to fucking dish it out and I would love to just see what he would say about these people. And maybe we'll get some of that later on. I mean, we've, we've had glimpses of it, but to like really go in on what he thinks about these people. Um, I think that would be some fun dialogue. And well, we know Logan doesn't like deals where the other side is smiling, right? Mm-hmm. Like that was a, something that popped up in season one, probably a few times, you know, he's a reactionary. He likes to punish usually the other side, um, but absolutely in terms of like just acting like a child, I've never, I don't think he's ever screamed or, um, you know, yelled and you, just the things that he is, you know, where he can't control his emotions. I don't think that's actually happened in, 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 an, in another episode as much. No, you get, um, you, you definitely get these glimpses, you know. Uh, the the episode had multiple references to Shakespeare. You get these obvious glimpses where Logan is Lear-like, where he, uh, you know, the idea that he has to sort of divide his empire um, drives him mad in these in these moments. Um, that he, you know, he can't be king forever uh, is something that that uh, he just refuses to confront. Well, but here's the thing about all this. Logan wins. He does get oh, yeah, what he, does. he wants. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you we spend all this time thinking about what Shiv's doing, what's going on with Ken. You know, what are the kids doing? What are their games? And we don't spend so much time thinking about, you know, the idea of, you know, Logan as the hero of this story. But all of a sudden, things make a lot of sense if you look at it that way. You know, he's the one who's got these mortal enemies, you know, these people who are a different class than him. And, you know, if only in uh, degree, if not in kind. 
and he's the one who sets out to conquer them. He faces them down and he wins, right? You know, he's, you know, the, the it's the scene from Sopranos where Christopher goes, you know, where's my arc, Polly? You know, nobody else has an arc. You know, Logan is the one who's got an arc and it's an upward one, right? Um, and, but you know, he, he, he wins just through the sheer brutal force of money. He wins absolutely. Because, because that's money the only wins. thing that matters to any of them, right? None of his, none of his machinations, none of his ploys ultimately matter. It's just the fact that he can sign a check. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's I, really, I think that's really powerful in what the show suggests about, like, you know, what those kind of, like, triumphant narratives means and who gets to have them. And if you're not holding those cards, you know, what does your, you know, your art, quote-unquote, really look like? And another, this is another parallel to Austerlitz, which is really an episode about Logan. Um, and we know the Battle of Austerlitz is where Napoleon feigns um, weaknesses uh, to trick, uh, you know, um, the allies. And he ends up having an utterly successful, um, the most successful battle of Napoleon. And like that happens in this episode. Um, right. He it wins. starts with Logan yeah. and it ends with Logan um, and he wins. He wins, but not without wounding himself and his entire family along the way. And that's just the uh, the rote dynamic that we see just over and over and over again. And, um, you know, I thought it was you know kind of poignant in this episode that we got Ken, of all people, saying out loud, like, just imagine what it would be like to be free of this. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, Shiv goes through, you know, a big theme of this show and this season in particular is the idea of this kind of ritualized humiliation, right? It's what Ken goes through in Valter when he's made to gut the company that he uh, prized so much. It's what, you know, Tom and Carl and Greg, Gregory, sorry, go through in hunting when they're made to play mm -hmm. boar on the floor. And, and now Shiv kind of goes through this process where she thinks she's you know, going to be, uh, you know, name the successor. And instead she is, has her, her nose rubbed at every possible moment in how, you know, dispensable she, she is basically. Um, and how, and how little Logan really needs her to accomplish what he does. And that humiliation is kind of complete when he wins, you know, despite, um, you know, completely sidelining her throughout this process. Right. And it's a dynamic that's probably repeated, <laughs> throughout you know their entire lives and that's why there's this constant sort of um re-traumatization and ability to sort of uh, break out of that because um you know that's that's what they traffic in uh logan traffics in humiliation and and withholding and you know he mm -hmm. he doles that out as he see, sees fit and um you know everybody is just sort of waiting for something to change and Brendan, I know you had a. Uh, um, you noticed that there was a recreation of a of a shot from the. Yeah, and, and a, opening credits that sort of spoke to this. Yeah, and a callback to those opening credits, which is you know all about this kind of childhood dynamic, and you know suggestive of what the childhoods of the Roys were like. The father figure. 
um, who is ostensibly Logan in those credits, is almost always seen from the neck down and usually from behind. There are all these shots of him sort of walking away in medium shot and long shot in the distance. In one scene is what looks like, you know, a child, you know, a young Shiv is watching. And that's the final shot of this episode is uh, Logan sort of nodding to Shiv and she watches as he turns and walks up the stairs and, you know, his back is turned to her and it's this, you know, just this sort of distant and unknowable figure that is always the focal point in their lives um, that this episode ends on. Yeah, I was really impressed that you picked that up, but not at all surprised, Brendan. Always coming through. Um, I wanted to speak really briefly on, like, the idea of money corrupting, um, you know, individuals, systems, but in this case, the absolutely phony and, I guess, the phony fucking pierces, right? Um, it's so funny that they have that Shakespeare recitation, you know, where they say spotless reputation and honor is the most important thing in life. And then they have that discussion, Nan, you know, saying money is a social contract, but integrity and virtue, you know, are real, which... Those are social contracts too, social constructs too. But, but anyways, like they sell out for the money and they're selling, you know, they're supposed to be hold all those values so high and yet they're selling to friggin' ATN, which, you know, Waystar Royco, which is essentially Fox News, um, ATN rather. But, you know, it's just another example of like, you know, money corrupting, in this case, you know, a fa- uh, individual, a family. Um, I mean, they're even you know, worse but, than the Roy's just because of the way that they oh, t- posture about their exactly. righteousness. Exactly. And it's but so dangerous. Like, this is also like the entire history of the American upper class, right? Is that these old, <laughs> these old money types are, you know, sort of horrified by the, this gauche, uh, interloping, uh, you know, new money families uh but you know they they may have honor and and integrity or they may think they do but you know eventually their their bank balances start to wane uh and they end up incorporating this new money class usually it's you know traditionally it's been through marriage but now it's through business acquisition it's through buying and selling properties um but this this is you know how uh how america uh metabolizes new wealth it's through it's selling out whatever kind of virtue you think you have to uh, people who who you hold in contempt and who hate you just as much. Yeah, and you gotta love the progression from uh, Shiv's objection to the sale in episode three, where she goes, you know, the American Republic is not in such great shape, you know, and if we buy this, where am I going to get my news, you know, and how can we, how can we, you know, countenance uh, all these media outlets all being consolidated under one political agenda? And then in this episode, she's like, well, if it makes my dad happy, it's fine. <laughs> Yeah, get the cousins some yachts, you know. Yeah, I mean, one one thing this show does not have is uh, anybody with morals. Yeah, 
Wait, what well, was, absolutely. What was the thing somebody so... said about Greg being the moral center of the show or something like that? I mean, oh, come on. When, if, I don't. I don't want to call moral this center. I... That's that's there a, is that's a no center right there. Yeah, it's a pit. This come is on. a buddy. I don't want to call them out, but actually, they said Kendall was the moral center. So, <laughs> oh yeah, even worse. Um, oh, I don't think they listen. But yeah, I, and the funny thing speaking of morals and going back to the beginning of this episode is like they said I think Frank said you need to show moral character which is like just ex- so laughable um, again because <laughs> yeah, it's also just... funny that yet again Frank is you know they, these people love Frank everywhere they go uh, Frank is like they're in because people like Frank because he's you know a very nice down-to-earth guy. Uh, Nan calls him St. Francis of Assisi. And and you got to wonder, like, why someone like Frank continually, or, or why he stays so loyal to the Roys. I mean, it could be as simple as... Because they pay him. No, yeah, he's a sellout, too. It could too. be as simple as money, but... Yes. Um, but it, it's also a very astute example of how these worlds, and somebody who might appear virtuous and good, like Frank, and... Um, who can make inroads with the, you know, the high class old money people, um, you know, are just as motivated by um, material wealth as well. Um, so as much as I love Frank, you know, it's a he's a very good vehicle for that. I swear to God, yeah, we're going to find out at some one. point that Frank is like everybody's conduit to Jeffrey Epstein, basically. Oh my God, no, I'm going to die when that happens. Oh, <laughs> no, that was not the, that, go that down was, this road, Brendan. That was the guy that, that Connor had to give the eulogy for. Oh yeah, Lester. <laughs> oh, Lester. Lester the Oh my Lester, God. Or whatever oh, his God. name was. Yeah, we already, we had one of those. He died. R.I.P. Oh yeah, good thing there was only one. And yes. the weird, the weird <laughs> comment about uh, <laughs> Frank's com- Frank's girlfriend in Palermo, like, yeah, there's definitely, you know, very, yeah, very like nice. after being completely debased with the boar on the floor, and then he accepts the job the next day. I mean, I come on, it's, it's, he's a sellout too. Gil's a sellout. Everyone ends up being corrupted by money, you know, which is an ongoing theme of the show. Um, Even Willa, the hooker with the heart of gold. Oh, I mean, they're, they're all whores. She's like actually one of, <laughs> one of the better ones. Yeah, I agree. I, I think, would be and like I think the she's genuine. One, Not initially, but. Uh... Yeah, her, her, her <sighs> and Tabs are cool, but you know. Yeah, every... <laughs> They're, they're uh, the, like the least damning, but you know it's not a very uh, high bar. I just we support each other's dreams. Um, as we kind of wind down, I wanted to mention that uh, the appearance by you know newly minted executive Gregory Hirsch at the ending had the flavor of sort of a sitcom walk on. You know, like he bursts like Kramer basically he into yeah. The, yeah into the penthouse. Everybody's like Greg. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's like, cheers, Norm! 
And it, it has this, yeah, it has this flavor of a sitcom walk-on, and it's almost like, it's like the mid-season finale, you know, the, these, the first five episodes were the ones that were released to critics, um, I don't think they've put up anything like, you know, episode descriptions for the second half of the season, so it's like, yeah, we've reached kind of this culmination where Logan has his victory, you know, he's, you know, brought Sh Ken to heel, he's brought him into the fold, he's subdued Shiv, it seems, for the time being, you know, taking the pressure off of the transition plan, and he's also he now made himself too big to swallow for Sandy and Stewie. So the question is very much like, what happens next? And, you know, as, as in season one, after the, uh, the failed coup, we have this question of like, well, the rest of the season's kind of, you know, wide open. And I don't know if y'all have any theories about, you know, what comes next. I assume there's going to be some kind of complications with the sale. I mean, you think about the flack that Logan caught for his TV stations deal last season. I'm sure there'll be some antitrust noise or something like that around this acquisition. Um, but I mean, what do we think comes next? Well, in the next episode that we saw that, you know, the clues to is that the cruise uh, info comes out and a story is going to be published. And, yeah, it totally, um, you know, jeopardizes the deal. And after that, I don't know. But, but, you know, more chaos. I know that Ken wears a pretty cool outfit in Croatia um, <laughs> <laughs> just based on stalking the uh, cast. Instagram stories from a few months ago when they were it on set. It appears that Ken becomes Doesn't a hat he... guy. <laughs> that's what, yeah, I was going to say it was even wearing a hat. Yeah, yeah, like very, very casual beachy clothes. It's a nice way for him, so. Um. <laughs> I, I, I hope that, that uh, Marsha leaves him, at least briefly. Ooh. I feel like, you know, now that, now that he's... Uh, back to his uh sort of blustery uh virile self um and i think that there were there were you know obviously hints of that in this episode that she's going to get a little fed up I, w I wouldn't mind uh getting more of that relationship yeah and i would love if she did and even the very ending shows how isolated logan is you know uh as he leaves the room and walks upstairs to be by himself while the entire family in a somber scene together. Um, but he's on his own now. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, she should. I also wonder what's going to happen between Shiv and um, Tom if the Death Pit stuff comes out, how much she'll be willing to sell him out, which we can probably predict is, you know, completely. But um, Tom seems to be sort of, you know, he's still supportive, but we've seen sort of punctuated throughout this season that he he's kind of reaching um you know his edge and uh, i think it might be a pivotal point in our relationship but we'll see i just want to say uh logan going to hide in his room during a family gathering is the most relatable he's ever been <laughs> i feel like yeah logan needs to start gaming or something <laughs> <laughs> just to like really to like really get at his utter debasement he needs to, <laughs> we need to find him in you know a, a multi-million dollar loft that is only <laughs> furnished with a gaming chair and a giant tv well that's like uh he's he's gonna do that when he makes roman's theme park ride which is like basically making <laughs> counter-strike real <laughs> well, metaphorically, like Logan is always playing the game, as he loves to refer to. That's so right. It's a, it's a, it's a clear, 
next up. Any closing thoughts, folks? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, of course, I just want to say I really love the last scene, the somber setting, and Greg not being able to read the room. Kramer and stuff was, like, totally spot on. But I I have to say, I think one of my favorite moments in the entire series, um, and also such a funny line, um, is... Uh, actually, to Marsha, like Gregory, um, you know, he can't pick up the mood, what's going on. Actually, I'm going by Gregory now, but yeah. And I don't know why that tickled me so much, but it just absolutely did. It was so funny and unexpected. And, like, Gregory is growing up, maybe. Well, he's asserting himself from the from yeah. the pilot. You know, he let Logan call him Craig. Um, he said he, he answered <laughs> to both. So, you know. But uh, I, I think, you know, Greg is Greg is a player and there's going to be some some sad uh, fangirls when when Greg, you know, ultimately is corrupted just as everybody else. I mean, he already is, you know, leveraging his what his knowledge for for a better job of so. And Logan's you. Beautiful Ichabod Crane, fuck you, was also <laughs> was, really great. That was great. Yeah, he was like so excited to see him. It was funny. I <laughs> because he was the only person happy yeah, and like <laughs> you know so, and and Greg brings this positive energy. So I am completely done. Yeah, he he loves when Greg says his catchphrase, which is usually like "What's going on?" or you know. <laughs> Oh, and Tom in the helicopter when he says, what a weird family. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, trying to break the silence and no one reacts. Also very yeah. relatable. Yeah. All right. Um, Brandy, what a delight to have you today. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, oh, thank you for having me. That was really fun. Uh, where can folks find you and your work? Um... Uh, so they can find my advice column, ask a fuck up at the outline.com. Uh, and they can find me on Twitter at Brandy L. Jensen. Awesome. Uh, I know we also want to shout out our producer, Dan Black on the show. Um, follow Dan and, uh, his handle is in the show description and his website is at <coughs> banglocaldads.com. <laughs> thank you Dan. thank you dan for giving me the opportunity to say that on the show um and uh yeah dan's such a gem and was also uh roy had from the start yeah, so a true mensch follow dan but uh for everybody listening thanks so much and we'll be here next week bye-bye now it's the time to get on like Spike Lee said, get on the bus. Go get your work and keep your people chirping, it's a must. Get you on that dust, cornstarch, familiar with that smack, man. The music is like that green stuff, provided to you by Sack Man. Pac Man, how many fuck you think we gon' do that, man? Ride, ride on national 18s without no gap, man. I'm strapped, man. Never did a bus on any nigga like that, man. Me and my nigga, we rolled together like Batman and Rob Band. We prayed together through hard times, swung hard when it was fitting. But now we tapping the brakes from all them corners that we be bending. And Volkswagen and Bonnevilles, Chevrolets and Coopervilles. If you ain't got no rims, nigga, don't get no wood grain steering wheel. For real, you can go chill out and steal bills. That's your paper stack instead of going to overkill. Pay your fucking people bill, bitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He 
even the sun goes down, heroes eventually die. Horoscopes often lie, and sometimes why? Nothing is for sure, nothing is for certain, and nothing lasts forever, but until they close the curtain.